Atlantic Avenue in Berkeley. The shows are wheelchair accessible and benefit EcoViva, an organization that supports community-led social justice movements in Central America. For more information, call 510-835-1334 or visit ecoviva.org slash events. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up. In darkness From the ones Who Walk in light Light them up Boys There's your picture Drop the shadows Out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is April the 17th, 2018. Oh, boy, am I confused. You know, all that best of times, worst of times. (laughs) I just, I can't, I can't sort it out. We got to get this sorted. I love that phrase, the British. Just got to get this thing sorted. Hell's bells, I mean. Ah, I I think of my parents long, long gone. Ah, in the middle of the 20th century. What on earth? What on earth would they make of this? You know, I guess I always say yes. I guess the human race is doing the best it can. Is it? Are we? Are most of us using our imaginations at least the best we can? The beat poet Diane de Prima wrote that the only war is the war on the imagination. Ah, yes, I used to say to the young students, stop and think, and once you have thunk, think again, turn it over. I'm trying to read the third wave feminist that's mostly um, black scholars. And I've been looking back far, far back, back to the days when, you know, when I began to be conscious of some of this stuff. Now I'm listening and looking and what I'm seeing is... uh, This thing about sexual harassment being the thing that's a kind of a breakthrough issue, a wake-up issue. My God, Uh, how how can that be? We have we have struggled, we have uh, written and talked about uh, 
Oh, what, you know, um, I'm looking through it, my old poems all about India, you know, bride burning, uh, all about honor killing, all about the selling of children, girls of 12, uh, and, uh, my favorite horror, female genital mutilation. Now that's thousands, I believe. Yes, it's up in the millions now. I, I have so many folders. Who's that hilarious guy? Who used to say it? Folders and folders of women, right? Okay, anyway. The crimes are, uh, what is that? Uh, so old. We used to say, yes, sexism goes so deep it's hard to see. We think it's just reality, boys and girls. I I don't know whether things are darker or whether we can say that, you know, things are getting better. Obviously, listening to the president, I think it might be time to, to look for those shelters. Remember those... Um, Backyard shelters we had in the fifties. Uh, <laughs> they were they were a lot of fun. Of course, none of them were any good. I don't know if any of them are still uh, in use, active. Uh, anyway, what bothers me, of course, is the language, uh, the way the way uh, everybody takes this jargon and uses it to mean whatever. They choose it to mean the old, the old Lewis Carroll through the looking glass spin. You remember Humpty Dumpty said, when I use a word, he said in a rather scornful tone. Well, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. The question is, said Alice... Whether you can make words mean so many different things. Well, the question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be master? That's all. Okay, it's as simple as that, folks. Uh, you know, uh, I, I hate to be, I hate to be a bore, but, you know, uh, what is that? Uh, what is being said? is not uh, nearly so important as who is saying it. Uh, think of the, oh golly, think of the boring, boring, the the um, can't. I remember collecting for KPFA the, the words of, say, um, uh, George W. Bush, you know, utterly, utterly meaningless, as Emily Bronte would say, worthless as withered weeds, these creeds. Uh, anyway, uh, hang on, Jennifer, never mind, the fight for social justice never ends. I know, I know we don't win, but uh, wait a minute, at least not too often. We won a few lately, but the, the, the truth is, whatever happens, we do change the world. Inch by inch, you know, nothing dramatic, uh, but, you know, no more. No more of that. <laughs> okay, boys, into the breach. Uh, joy cometh in the morning. I keep waiting for 
the biggie, you know, the real revolution, <laughs> the, the oldest, the oldest struggle on the planet, the struggle for women's rights, women's freedom. I don't know why it's so, what is that, uh, so boring, even to women, they just sigh, I don't want to talk about that, uh, I was looking here in my despair in the wee hours of the morning, about four o'clock here, I came across something by Ursula Le Guin, she has only just recently left us, and I feel like I should go back and start at the beginning and read her works, I probably won't do that, but, uh, I like it when she just talks straight, woman to woman. Here, here is something I found. It's called A Left-Handed Commencement Address by Ursula K. Le Guin, and I found it in my quarterly, Mills College Quarterly, August 1983. Ursula writes, quote, You will find yourself, as I know you already have, in dark places, alone and afraid. What I hope for you is that you will be able to live there in the dark place. If we want to live as women, some separatism is forced upon us. How about going on, just doing things our own way, not for men and the male power, hierarchy. That's their game. Not against men, either. That's still playing by their rules. But with any men who are with us, that's our game. Our roots are in the dark. The earth is our country. <laughs> um, uh, let's see, follows an article... I call these articles Bread and Roses. Uh, about 50 of them were published in the old grassroots newspaper Bread and Roses. <laughs> yes, I, I, I find this stuff fascinating. I doubt very much if any of it will ever be uh, read. Uh, mostly in these 80s, 80s, uh, what is that, uh, protests, I guess, protests, uh, I, I don't know, uh, it's about language and about who wants to be a feminist and what that means, uh, I argue and argue with the young women who say they don't like the label, the label, they don't want to be labeled, and I said to one of them, I said, it's as if you were to say you're against slavery, but you don't want to be called an abolitionist. Oh, oh, no, no, the young woman said. That, that's not what I meant. That is not what I meant at all. <laughs> well, well, anyway, she did say that she was sorry to see so many women uh, not getting a piece of the action uh but still, she said that uh, rights, politics, that wasn't her idea of feminism. She said that she was into beauty, into feeling, that she'd rather be, uh, she'd rather be, what, a poet 
than a president. <laughs> anyway. Okay, and the radical women say all that matters is getting our rights. I can't remember the date, but I don't think women got the vote in Ireland until sometime in the very late 60s. How about that? Oh, well, you know, the Irish. <laughs> They're too busy worshipping women to give them their rights. Uh, ah, I love it. Here's William Lloyd Garrison, an early feminist, a man that I so admired. William Lloyd Garrison. Here he is writing back in 1853. He writes, I believe in sin and therefore in a sinner. I believe in theft, therefore in a thief. I believe in... Whoops. I don't believe, he says, in slavery. Uh, But that does indicate there are slaveholders Uh, he says that uh, if there is wrong there must be a wrongdoer and unless the men of this nation are made by women to see that they have been guilty of usurpation and cruel usurpation I believe very little progress will be made right on William okay now Even this sexual harassment business, I would like to see more of these men come forward. You know, a little mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Uh, I did it, and I'm sorry. How about that? (laughs) Anyway, uh, this is even better. This is uh, 1983. This is an issue of the Black Scholar. Yes, I like the the uh, black intellectuals. Uh, (laughs) uh, I read in this uh, September issue, 1983, of the Black Scholar. It was no easy thing for a male to espouse woman's rights in the 19th century, he writes. Those who did so risked being labeled Aunt Nancy men, or worse... The New York Herald described one convention of the Equal Rights Association as composed of, quote, long-haired men, apostles of some inexplicable emotion or sensation, (laughs) yes, and women in bloomer dresses, whoops, I guess he means uh, bloomer pants, anyway, women in bloomer dresses to show their ankles and their independence. Women who hate their husbands and fathers and hateful women wanting husbands. Altogether, the most long-necked, grim-faced, dyspeptic, puritanical, (laughs) nasal-twinged agglomeration of isms ever assembled. (laughs) I think that's enough. I have have here... uh, (laughs) Yes... A lot of stuff from uh, some of the fierce, the fierce radicals. Uh, I don't think we need to go over that material. You know all that stuff. Uh, the great writers, uh, the, uh, what is it? Uh, oh, D.H. Lawrence, yes, D.H. Lawrence. And Oh, too many, too many. I'll save it for another day. I'm sure you're all f- familiar with the dudes. Uh, 
I think uh, Arthur Schopenhauer leads the pack. They have terrible things to say about women. Uh, and then, of course, there's Virginia Woolf, who sh- says that uh, pessimism about the opposite sex <laughs> is always, is always, uh, what is that, uh, a comfort to women, yes. Oh, boy, I think of the long-haired apostles of 1984. How about Bill Moyers? Ah, yes, Bill Moyers. I used to send him thank-you notes, but uh, he, of course, has been a token male at the table. Oh, since forever. Uh, he, yes, he he's so... What is it? He's so special, and no one would label him a feminist. Uh, he's too cool to wear buttons or T-shirts. I mean, hell, so am I. We've arrived at this curious place. The fact is, these days, any male with brains is a feminist. The other fact is that these days, like any female with brains, he's too smart to say so. <laughs> They'll find another way. They'll find another way. Uh, yes. I I guess I I guess I'm trying to do what I always advise young people to do, which is to think twice. Think twice. The early morning hours I was listening to all this uh nonsense, the same old, same old. And I couldn't help but think, what would Thomas Jefferson say? Our great forefather, most admired certainly by me. Now, Thomas Jefferson was a man uh, whom many criticize for his lifelong relationship with a woman. Now, the laws of Virginia forbid him to marry her. I don't know uh, whether she wanted to be a legal wife. Uh, uh, Jefferson had been widowed for many years before he began his relationship with Sally Hemmings. He was 45. Sally was, oh, 15 or 16. We're not quite sure. Now, back in the 18th century, the fact that a woman was quite young or legally the property, the property <laughs> of of uh, uh, male, usually, yes, or at least of some European, many women owned slaves, but, you know, they didn't own them as property, they were the mistress. It all went through the male. Thomas Jefferson, of course, was almost feudal. He owned this beautiful uh, plantation in Virginia. There were more than 200 slaves at his home. Most of them came to him uh, as a kind of dowry or uh, at least a gift from his uh, wife. When her father died, all the uh, slaves uh, were, what is it, I guess, inherited by Tom and his good wife. They were all collected there at Monticello. Uh, I I guess uh, 
the world, the world was perfectly, at least if not happy with this arrangement, uh, they they felt it necessary to say that he was as good as it gets. You know, uh, he didn't he didn't beat his uh, workers. Let's call them workers or captives. The little boys, of course, worked 12-hour days making nails and things. Never mind. Abigail Adams was one of those who disapproved of slavery, and she would not have a slave in her home. Uh, (laughs) Sally and Tom were uh, away from home when they became lovers. Uh, They were away from their expansive, extended family. Her mother and grandmother, they were back at Monticello and Sally and Tom were in France together. Uh, Kind of a strange arrangement. Tom had come earlier. Sally came over with one of his daughters as a kind of companion. And uh, there they were, away from the world that both of them loved and felt part of. Uh... Yes, I think of Sally's mother and grandmother. They had lived uh, within this family group. They were the mistresses, or concubines, if you prefer that word, uh, most of their lives. Not all. They earlier had other relationships, but they both had lived most of their adult lives as the mistresses of their white masters. Uh, <laughs> Sally's mother was basically the, I guess she would be called the housekeeper, but uh, she was basically the mistress of Monticello at uh, certain points. Uh, Now, this family was so mixed, so various, at least in appearance, uh, that history has trouble labeling them. There's still confusion. Uh, (laughs) Sally was free at the death of Jefferson, at any rate. Uh, So, too, all of her children, their children, five, five children. If that's not marriage, I don't know. Common law marriage, I don't know what it is. Uh, There are letters from that time telling of the white slaves who served dinner, uh, the eldest of these children was apparently a dead ringer for for Thomas Jefferson uh, all the way to the red hair. Now, on careful study, on cautious thought, I don't find those uh, sexual social affairs uh, uh, much worse than today's tawdry behaviors. uh, Not quite master and slave, at least not legally, but uh, today the ways that men of power still believe they have sexual uh, rights, permission over the females that serve them, or women that even just cross their paths, you know, in the elevator, right, in casual ways. Uh, Now, it's the 21st century. Some people do believe that women have more options today, more choices. They can leave town. <laughs> yes, yes. Free to starve, as we used to say. Now, 
If you think that it's true that women have more freedom today, just ask the hundreds of women who have suffered from the assaults of men, the men of power. Uh, Now, you know, these guys have the power to abuse them. You see it, you hear it, you read about it. Tom and Sally, after all, were more or less uh, exclusive. That is, once they were in their uh, special sexual relationship, all the evidence indicates that they were faithful to one another for the rest of their lives. Uh, Tom died first, being so much older, and Sally spent the rest of her life visiting his grave. (laughs) How about that? Of course, they were never a couple socially. That's the other side of the story. Sally could never sit at the master's table or act as hostess to his guests. She could never be the first lady of the land. Tom didn't really want to be president. He found it tiresome. He wanted to go back to Monticello, live like the gentleman that he was, gentleman and scholar. And, of course, the laws in Virginia were harsh. He did not do everything he could to change them. Uh, some of those love love laws in Virginia, they, they uh, uh, survived here in these, what is it? Once colonies, now this great nation, uh, <laughs> they're still uh, uh, st- still fighting over these issues. Uh, people going back to change their color, their so-called color on their birth certificate, uh, going to the Supreme Court. Yes. Anyway, it's all about states' rights again. Once again, a weapon to oppress women. Check out. Uh, the access to abortion state by state, you know how it is. The right wing just comes up with all sorts of new mean-spirited prohibitions to make life difficult for women, for reproductive rights. Always remember the first thing Adolf Hitler did was go out and padlock those birth control clinics. <laughs> anyway. Oh, dear. I have not even had time to start the show I had planned today. How about that? <laughs> it was all about it was all about why we are the way we are and the uh, incredible inertia that uh, social changes seem to suffer from. I guess I'm just a little worried tomorrow my older son departs from his home here in the East Bay, moves permanently to Texas. <laughs> His wife is a Texan. There are rumors that the 21st century Texans can no longer be labeled, uh, well, not a den of Republicans at any rate. Uh, This once red state, Texas, may soon become purple. The 21st century not only sees the mass migration of citizens from Mexico... Uh, the original owners of Texas, uh, in any case. But uh, any number of liberal Texans 
More and more in evidence, I met a few myself in Dallas, in Austin, mostly Austin. Molly Ivins uh, seemed to prefer the open ways of Texan politicians. Governor Ann Richards was my favorite. Yes, she was among those governors who gave feminists a great deal to hope for. Uh, I have a list of Texan women who are very impressive. My daughter-in-law gave me a book of quotations from the women of Texas. I have no choice but to hope that my son and his wife will be part of the brave new world that resists the retro-thinking which still supports patriarchal hierarchies. Okay, the dark forces of trumpery will have to wait till next week. Uh, this has been Jennifer Stone. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz, Native American historian, writer, activist, author of Outlaw Woman and an Indigenous People's History of the United States, is taking a fierce moral stand against America's crazed gun culture. She's exposing the true racist origins of the Second Amendment. Roxanne will present her new book, Loaded, A Disarming History of the Second Amendment, on Wednesday evening, April 25th, 7.30 p.m. at St. John's Presbyterian Church, 2727 College Avenue in Berkeley. There is wheelchair access and some free parking at this KPFA benefit. Joanna Manqueros will host tickets available at independent booksellers and online at brownpapertickets.com. That's April 25th for Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz.